Hello, this is your host, Michelle Weston with Wellness Learning Curves 2.0. It's great to see you this morning, and I hope everything is going well in your side of the country or countries. And I have a very special guest today to talk about chronic conditions. And that is a very, very special person to me, a professor who was at Maryland University of Integrative Health when I got my master's in health and wellness coaching. Sherry Leakin is a special person because her care and her feelings about how important it is to have health and wellness coaches available, not just life coaches or executive coaches, leadership coaches. There's many different kinds of coaching and they're all valuable and and, and worth um, looking into. But for health and wellness coaching with someone with a chronic condition, many of us have not just one, but many, or perhaps we're a caregiver or married to someone or a sibling or a friend. And we'd like to know how how we can help that person because it takes a lot of lifestyle changes to really live your life with something that's chronic, something that keeps occurring. It doesn't just temporarily be there. And I wanted to talk to Sherry, especially after all of this pandemic craziness, um, that we're going forward over years living with what we're living with. And there will be fallout of brain fog, which the doctors and many articles I read that are empirical evidence, which means that they're academic papers. And yes, they're very hard to read. But because I'm a doctor's daughter, I, I love to hear it from the horse's mouth. So I would rather read it and struggle with it and then ask questions to doctors that I know um, about things. Because I want to be able to talk to you guys out there about this brain fog that is a long-term COVID fallout is real. And doctors are now realizing, oh my God, we thought brain fog was just like, whatever. Guess what? It is a real, real thing, and that is just one of the symptoms that's staying with people, but it's also something that affects a lot of neurological conditions, and you know that I talk about that. So that's why I wanted to talk to her, because we're going to talk about what a board-certified health and wellness coach is, processes, why it's good to have a coach and coachy partnership, and it is a partnership. And remember, as I always say... <laughs> all the time. We are not coach. We are not therapists. We're not social workers. We're not psychologists, psychiatrists. We're not doctors. We're not on the medical side. We are on the integrative side, the complementary side. We're here to help you with asking powerful questions. Yes, I know I sound like a broken record, but we ask you powerful questions that help you unlock your own answers to these questions. And that's what we're here for. We're here to help you with that process. And I hope that you know also that insurance in some of the different um, branches of insurance across the country in the U.S., they are starting to pay for health and wellness coaches. We're seeing health and wellness advocates in insurance companies talking to people. And that's a good sign. So on that note, Sherry, how are you? Hi, Michelle. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. So what can we say basically about health and wellness coaching and why you decided that you wanted to be a professor at MUIH and, and help upcoming coaches? Oh, well, I'm very passionate about coaching. And so teaching it really, really helps get more coaches out there, right? I feel like the more coaches we have in the world, the better. And um, 
I've always enjoyed teaching in some capacity and always wanted to be a t- teacher actually when I was little. So oh, wow. um, even though that wasn't my path uh, in my younger years, um, you know, it's just kind of where I, I ended up happily. And uh, so, so I started as a coach, you know, I mean, I went it's to more general coach, right? Coach, it's more but, general coach. Yeah. Well, um, I went into coaching, uh, went into health and wellness coaching, and then I really wanted to teach. Oh, okay. So you went straight into health, like I did. I did. Into mm-hmm. Knowing exactly. that that's the path. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was very new when I started. I mean, practically everybody I came across, I had to explain <laughs> what it was. I mean, even just coaching. Uh, I mean, some people knew about executive coaching or leadership coaching, but there's right. very little knowledge about what, what a coach does. Mm. And that has really gotten a lot better, thankfully. And um, we're, you know, we're getting there because there's so much evidence. Um, many studies coming out now on, on the uh efficacy coaching, um, short term and long term. And, and it's really exciting to see the field take hold and take root. Yeah. And that word efficacy, you guys heard, that means that it's worshiping. It means effect. What is the effect it has on it? So both Sherry and I read these articles and mm-hmm. this academic papers and, you know, because we want to know, is it effective? Is the efficacy of it effective? Just like medicine, when we have studies, this is the same. And they are studying it more and more of the benefits of health and wellness coaching. And understand health and wellness coaching can go on for different periods of time. That doesn't mean that just because you have a chronic illness, you're with a health and wellness coach forever. It could be you're with a health and wellness coach for a period of time, three months, six months, a year. You could come back to one for something that's going on. What a coach can do is they can help you tap in. And it's it's very important to be able to tap in. We're not here, honestly. We have very strident rules um, in regards to ethics. And I love ethics. I study bioethics at Loyola University. And I'm glad I did because I understand why we developed in this lifetime HIPAA. HIPAA was developed because ethically we wanted to make sure the patient knew that they were protected and that their information was protected. Um, Being a coach, we ethically are not here to give you advice, okay? We're here to guide you for you to advise almost yourself to go, oh, well, oh, I didn't realize I have that tool. Or learn strategies, learn smart goals, learn ways to use the um, behavior change from from uh, from the experts that are out there. Use mindfulness. Still, one of my favorite tools is mindfulness. Is to be mindful, especially with medically managed weight loss and weight loss, to help a person be aware and awake of eating and paying attention to what they're doing and. That's what we're here for is to point out and give you strategies and tools. And honestly, the most important thing, Sherry, don't you think, is asking questions? Yes. And I would say asking questions and then really deeply listening. Mm, Thank you. Because Mm. we're here, and that's a very hard thing to do, um, to shut up, to sit back, and to let the person sometimes mull in the silence is the best thing we can do because you can tap in as the coachee and go, oh, I didn't think about that. Sometimes a person will ask me, a client will say, are you there? And I'll say, yes, sure. So how do you feel about what you just said? Or how do you feel about that question? To bring it back to them and to let them reconnect. And sometimes silence is really valuable because it gives you a, a second to just be in that in that space and just sort of mull it over, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, and it's not part of our daily conversation, really. You know, we we are often not. You know, well, there are different levels of listening, and sometimes we're listening for information. And and uh, coaching requires a really deep level of listening, where you're you're listening to the words, you're listening to so you're listening to what is being said, and you're also listening to what isn't being said, and getting curious about what you're you're hearing and and often feeling in your body based on what is being shared. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is tapping into your body. How do you feel? Do you get that like feeling in your gut? You know, what is that what is that sometimes sinking feeling people will say? And to tap into that and know that you feel like that. Knowing what a boundary is, Sherry and I were talking about boundaries. Sometimes you have to be aware of what your boundaries are and to go is this something that is affecting my boundaries and my personal space or my relationship with somebody? Do I need to create boundary? And that can be family and that can be friends and that can be even at work. But it's also a boundary with chronic conditions. You need to set what you're going to do for yourself. And if you have the opportunity to tap into what you've learned and what you can learn and you know what you're curious about, that is a great opportunity. Sherry, I'd love to talk about something that people don't really understand because it is a new field relative. No, it's like 30 years mm-hmm. old. Um, and that is, we now have board certified health and wellness coaches and certified health and wellness coaches. We have MBHWC, National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching, and that is connected, which is very cool, to the Board of Medical Examiners. And so we sit for a four-hour exam, and um, that is how we get certified. And they ask us ethics questions. They ask us a myriad of questions for what we learned. That's why I got a master's, because I wanted an in-depth approach to it. There's lots of programs. If they're um, if they're in- approved um, by the MBHWC, that's great. The other is ICF, which is the International Coaching Foundation. Um, they're both terrific. If you see either one of them, you're with a coach who had to go through a process. We work with patients um, free and we work to practice how to work with people. And we come back to our classes and we talk about what's going on with that. So we get better and better at talking with people and also sitting in silence, sitting in that because it's a new behavior. How do you feel that should be approached by somebody looking for a coach? Well, um, it's really, it's becoming increasingly important to have an advanced professional credential. So so there's all kinds of training out there for coaching. Um, You know, because it's not a licensed profession, um, you could take what's called a, a, a coach training over a weekend and then say you're a coach and you can't possibly have the skills um, and practice that a coach needs to to really uh, you know to successfully coach somebody. There's um, there's a structure and a process of coaching, and it's it's um, very specific, and that's a big part of the reason that that the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching was developed because they these thought leaders in the field um, and coaching practitioners really saw this need for a more standardized way, first of all, to be able to research coaching. It's very mm. difficult to research something if you don't have standards, right? right. And so NBHWC really, really created this um, this this way specific to health and wellness coaching. Now, the ICF, the Inter- International Coaching Federation, 
also um, has the coaching structure is 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 basically the same. They sometimes use different words, but coaching is coaching. The process and the structure of coaching is the same. And no matter what you're coaching somebody on, the structure is the same, no matter what they choose to be coached on. Um, but it's really important to have a credential um, for a couple of reasons for for that, primarily for it for to get the proper training or an education yeah. as a coach. Yes. That's that's first and foremost the most important reason. Um, but lately, or the work that the NBHWC has done recently, they uh, have already for, for a number of years now have had um have have been gathering information from level three CPT codes. And so that's just what that means is these are codes that could be used in healthcare. And Michelle, you you might be able to explain this better than I of um gathering information for research. Yes. And sure right. That it's exactly. a viable practice. Yep. That it is valuable and the research is showing that they're they're, you know, that this is helpful to people. Right. So CPT yeah. codes, when you go to the doctors, you'll see the word CAPS, CPT. That mm-hmm. really is a, a description. It's a description of things. And why I love that they that, that we're doing that is that's why we're seeing insurance companies go, oh, if they're at that level and they're being coached in that manner and the studies are happening, we can support that to help our chronic condition patients lead a better life, which means less doctor visits, healthier people. And that's what we're leading to. We want healthier people. We want people to know how to handle chronic condition or just handle, you know, their lives um, with with help and guidance. You know, you, you see that a great deal. So CPT codes are why now, as those became something we're using in health and wellness coaching, why insurance companies went, oh, and why the board of medical examiners said, oh, well, if we can actually attach CPT codes to this and have IBSN codes, which are more codes, you know, all these codes are very good because they've done international board studies. All of those things are very good. It means that we are pushing boundaries just like they do in medicine saying, this is real. This is solid. This has been studied. And that makes it, I hate to use this word, but more legitimate, Mm -hmm. more legitimate. Right. And NBHWC just recently finished and submitted their application for the level one codes. Oh, interesting. Um, Good. With the American Medical Association, those, and and I, you know, I imagine it'll take a number, I don't know how long, you know, a number of months to go through. Um, however, there is now they have gathered um, enough evidence and research to support um, a very important role of the health coach or health and wellness coach mm, yeah. in um, working with other primary caregivers, uh, you know, a part of the healthcare team. And as Michelle, as you were saying, what's missing right now in the healthcare field is is an uh, as a partner to help you learn about yourself, to help Absolutely. you tap into what it is that you can do for yourself. Um, it it's a way to uh, to create awareness for somebody with chronic conditions that that um can you know can learn how they can help themselves, and then they have this partner who is really listening to them. And help and and uh, as Michelle said, asking questions and reflecting back what they're hearing, um, using actually using a lot of skills of motivational interviewing 
to help somebody to understand their capacity to help themselves. It's very empowering. Yes, very much so. Yeah. From a client perspective to me, oftentimes, you know, I'll I'll coach someone who's like, I never realized that about myself. And wow, I'm going to try to do X, Y, and Z because I think that would really help me. And so what you're really doing as a coach is you are, you, you know, you have the skills and the expertise of coaching and you're meeting your client where they are yes, and helping them to understand um, what they can do for themselves. And you're partnering with them and helping them, holding them up, elevating them, holding up a mirror to say, look, you can do this. This is, these are the things that, you know, that you would like to do. And this is where you would like to be in six months. And you know more, and you know more than you think you do, which is always like a, I I call it a V8 moment. You know, it's like, aha, oh, I could, I could have had a V8. I got it. (laughs) Honestly, it's a V8 moment. I tell people because it's like a light bulb goes on and you see somebody go, oh my, you know, Mm -hmm. it's great. Look, I don't like to use the word Sherry exercise because Mm -hmm. I hated the word exercise being obese. I hated it. I hated Mm -hmm. because it was attached to going to the gym and I had to go to the gym. When I went to MUIH, um, the physical uh, physical therapy person there, gosh, she did a lot of yoga therapy, and oh, so yoga therapist probably, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a yoga therapist who taught mm-hmm. uh, who taught um, physical activity. And when I heard physical activity, you know what? It sat better with me. So when mm-hmm. I talk to clients now, to patients, I say, "What physical activity do you like?" And I don't care if it's, I say them. I don't care if it's walking. Just that's fine. You don't have to like jump through hoops, get on a bike, go to a Zumba class. You don't have to do any of that. Choose something though that you like. What do you want to explore? And I also mm-hmm. encourage people. See now, is this is this leading? I don't think so. But I do say, I encourage people to go to a class and sometimes sit on the side and watch a class. Just ask the teacher, you know, who's leading a class, you know, at the gym, um, can I just sit and watch to see if I think this is something that I'll be able to do because I have limitations? Um, then you can find out if that's something you want to do. More people that I've coached get a huge surprise from yoga. There's so many levels of yoga that exist that if you're doing um, restorative yoga, it's very easy. It's super easy. It's not twists and turns of your body. It's much more about breathing and getting into your body and getting centered. And that would be amazing for people, you know, mm-hmm. taking a walk in nature. Great. If you don't like biking at the gym, you know, like a hamster on a wheel, but you like biking outside, maybe like one of my girlfriends who is also a health and wellness coach, you fall in love with joining a bike team and you suddenly are riding on the weekend 30 miles that you never would have done in the gym. So you find your physical activity that you like, but everybody, right? Everybody needs to move, everybody. So I want to just initiate that and investigate that. Let the person really think about that. What physical activity, not what exercise, just what physical activity do. And also, as you and I know, physical activity is important to help with stress, Mm -hmm. which chronic condition is, right? mm -hmm. And when you were talking about yoga, it's really twofold, right? You're you're getting, you're doing some movement, which Mm -hmm. is always good for your body. And, you know, when you said physical, physical, uh, activity, and I often say movement. Oh, that's good um, too. 
it's 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 moving your body and you're also you're practicing uh you're you're it's a mindful practice right you're focusing on your breathing you're really feeling what you're feeling in your body yeah. so that that can be very healing for so many people yeah. um it really is about helping helping people to tap into what it is what it is that um that feels right to them you know like I personally, I can't stand going to a gym. See, I, there you go, been, guys. <laughs> it's probably been years since I've stepped into a gym. Yes, me too. And I get a lot of physical activity in my life for doing the things that I love to do. I love to walk. I like, I like hiking in the woods. Um, you know, get, I get on the floor and play with my grandchildren. That's that's movement, right? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, hey, calories you know, burned, calories burned in yeah, and out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so it's really... Um, it's really helping people find just just like you said, Michelle, helping people find what lights them up. Yeah. And then and then going in and trying it, you know, committing to doing some of that, that yep. activity that feels good and feels right to you. And then and then doing it. And then we find that as people as people do that, and especially if they have uh somebody to help keep them accountable. Okay. Gets you going. And that's what coaches do. A lot of times it helps get people going and then they're then they're they get excited about it and empowered about it and if they don't do it there's also learning in that you know there's no there's nothing bad here this is all learning about yourself and that you know that's I feel I feel this is the other thing I was thinking when we you know when we were talking about this is how most of us have very limited beliefs about what what we should be doing or how we should be doing things. Right. And so that's another real gift I think of coaching is helping people to to really unravel these stories that they're telling themselves that they often find are not even true. Right. Right. And, and they're not you're living your life according to the story that is not at all helping or healing for you and yet you you're thinking this how what you have to do and it's absolutely not true so helping to kind of tease out those stories what's true about that what isn't true about that what would you like to change about that can be really helpful yeah it really can i mean i think it makes a huge difference and i think that this is what's important look i have a chronic illness, that your core strength is really, really important. That applies to a lot of things. So please don't think that I don't think that's a lot of things. But I found probably 10 years in to my MS, maybe eight years in, uh, I took a, a class of Pilates and I took Pilates on a mat. And I loved Pilates, going for an hour, going for 50 minutes and getting that core strength back. I also loved the springs that helped me lift that leg that had drop foot. Getting to a place where you find something that you like, go and experience what's out there because you never know. You just you just don't know. And that's important. Yeah. You could be telling yourself a story. Oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't do yoga. And is that really true? It doesn't matter if you're flexible or not. There's still, you can right. still do yoga, right? Still benefit. Yeah, you can still There's benefit. really still benefit for that. Absolutely. So that's what Sherry's saying. There's this big benefit for it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. What do you want to explore, right? Right. That's what we're asking you. We're asking you questions to let you sort of go, oh, what did you, what are you interested in? You know, and that's what we want for you as a one of the closer. We want to, we want to um, 
really hone in on things and let you go, oh, I didn't think that I could do that. Why didn't you think? Well, I just didn't think that it would be good for me because I'm this heavy. And why did you think that? So when you're asking somebody those questions and you explore and you go, so have you tried restorative yoga? And they say, well, no yoga is going to work. And you say, well, in restorative yoga, and it's great to have that information to say, this is something that's very gentle and more about breathing and not about like getting into twists and turns. And maybe it's something that would interest you. And that's about as much um, suggesting and I will do. I will say maybe mm-hmm. it's something that interests you. I don't know, but if you can help the person sort of burst some bubbles that they may assume, mm-hmm. right? It's helpful. Right, right. And I think that that's important. I think that um, health and wellness coaching gives us an opportunity to, to really help a big group. You know, taking you guys, the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching is really scary. It's a huge, huge test. It is very hard. You feel like, oh my God, I feel like a student in medicine. You have to leave everything out. You have to go through a medicine, uh, a, a metal detector. You are not allowed. Seriously. They look behind your ears. So, that, you know, seriously, your this glasses. is taking, no, every, your glasses. They look, seriously, guys, they want to know just like a doctor or nurse or any specialist is going in that they are doing this legally that, you know, and you take your time to do this. Um, And I think that that's a good thing. I think that that's a good thing. In fact, I will tell you guys something that I continue to learn always. I, you know, I love school. I love learning. So I joined the IOC, which is the Institute of, we're a lot about like initials guys. So just (laughs) ICF, MBHWC, IOC. IOC for me is a Harvard University affiliate. And actually, um, What's amazing is that Margaret Moore, who is on that founding team who began the Institute of Coaching, which has leadership coaches, executive coaches, all kinds of coaches. What we do is we get together and we talk about um, empirical evidence. We talk about how leadership going so you know a direction, and it gives us a chance to um, keep learning so that we come to you always fresh and with new ideas. Because I've got coaches who are like Sherry, who are twenty years ahead of me, and you can always learn. You can always learn, and I love that process. Right? Mm-hmm. Me and too, I, Michelle. Right? Right? Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm working on two um, two committees. Well, actually, writing. I'm writing uh, periodic table. I'm on uh, communication. So we're putting a periodic table of what communication means in leadership, all the words that describes that. I'm also working on a chapter for positive psychology with three other people. And we are developing this to see where the future of coaching, especially in leadership is. And leadership doesn't just mean at an executive. Leadership is everywhere. I mean, how Mm -hmm. do you explain that, Sherry? Because leadership is in what we do too. Right. Um, yeah, it's funny how people will, I mean, I, I, I also used to always think of, cor- you know, the corporate world when I thought of leadership, and that is absolutely not, <laughs> that is a very limited view. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, me too. Um, really, that we all have, we all have leadership skills within us and in various capacities, you know, um, so helping people, I, I think it's really tied into empowerment. Don't you think, Michelle, because like um, when you, you know, uh, empowerment helps you to assume a leadership role and and in doing that, you can really you can really help things to happen for the better. 
Yes, yes, I mm-hmm. do. And that's why I love this whole thing with Talk Radio for Women. That's why I became a host, because I love the opportunity to share, to give people other ways to think about things that they may not have known about. And reaching people in the United States and Canada and in Europe is empowering. And I want people to, you know, I still think, and I say this all the time, so you guys hear me all the time, information is only as good as the pass along, honestly. Otherwise, it's just information. You know, if you just sit on information and hold it close to yourself, you're not sharing. And it does take a village to make a difference. So all of us coaches getting together, even after, we are the village and we are looking at things and saying, you know what? We want to point out how far coaching has come and where we can go. You know, this is just the beginning. I think that coaching is a tool in regards to um, helping people, whether it's executive or health or wellness or leadership or whatever area, It, it makes people curious. And that's a word that we use a great deal as coaches. Mm-hmm. We like to be in a state of curiosity. We are always wanting to know more. We're always digging more to be curious, to listen more with intention, to hold the space for someone to struggle a bit and then go, oh, to hold someone accountable. That's what we like SMART goals for. And many of you use SMART goals for work. SMART goals you know, are great because are the sustainable? Can we manage them? Can we manage them? Can we, can we make people come? Can we in a timely manner? How can we do SMART goals? And asking someone um, when I speak to them, especially those who I speak to like every couple of weeks, every two weeks, asking someone to be accountable for one or two things, I want them to choose what thing they want to be accountable for. And it normally comes through what the conversation was that we were talking about as coach and coachee. And some people want a coach to check in. So thank thank goodness for text, right? Mm-hmm. And you can just remind someone of something. And that's really valuable for people. Um, it leads them to own things and to take ownership. And that's what accountability is. You know, um, it's not to make you feel bad. It's not like, oh, I didn't need that. You can always reset. Smart goals can always be reset. You can find out that the smart goal you thought you wanted, you reached and you reached it faster or you're reaching it slower than you thought you were going to. Those are negotiations that you have with your coach and with yourself. You are saying, you know what, this is what's this is what I can be accountable for right now. I thought I could do these three things, but it's really these two things or this one thing now. So I'm going to focus on this. And that's where when we get back to a session and you meet with someone, you ask, so how are things going? And you had um, something you were attaining for as, as accountability of something with a goal. How are you doing with that? See, you're always asking it as a question. And so it becomes the bouncing board between the two of you. It's like playing tennis or racquetball or mm-hmm. tennis or, or tennis or, or even like volleyball, just back and forth and back and forth. And that's a good thing. So that's what I yeah. like also about coaching is that you do, you bounce it between the two of you and you know, see where it lands. Sometimes it lands in the sand and or off the court. And you're like, oh, I guess we have to start again. Fine. Yeah, again. that's okay. That's a big part of coaching is the is the non-judgment. Yes. And um, and when things don't work out the way you planned, you know, say <laughs> you have a smart goal and and a lot of times that gives you some really nice awareness around the obstacles that you're facing and and how can you navigate an obstacle? How, you know, there there's always a way 
you know, I am always amazed at the creativity of all you know people that I coach and and a, an awe of their resilience and and the things that they think of just like wow that is so cool that you know that that's what you thought would would might have been the furthest thing from my mind but it's not me yeah it's not what I want to do right it's what the you know what the the person you're coaching wants to do and and so it's it's exciting when you see somebody come up with a creative plan. Mm-hmm. that you would have never thought of and then they are excited about it yeah you know? yeah and even then if it doesn't you know like Michelle like you were saying even if it doesn't work out and I said this a little while ago there's a lot of learning in that. like yes what happened you know what and and not in a what happened this is bad what can you what can you learn from this you know and a lot of times what happens is another another path is formed another idea um, is generated. Um, because there's so much awareness generated through coaching that a lot of a lot of options are unfolded. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of different ways to approach situations um, are brought to the table. And you know, it's 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 from having you know, I think having that space that that safe space to share what you're feeling and what you're thinking and and. Um, you know, just having, just being able to talk things out can be so helpful. We don't, we don't get that a lot in our no. everyday lives, no, if we at don't. all, if at yeah. all, right? Right. And that's why I like the terminology, motivational interviewing. Talk a little bit about that, what that means. I mean, to motivate, you know, we're trying to motivate you, but motivational interviewing has a structure. Well, yeah, it's a way of talking to somebody. It's really a way of, Meeting somebody where they are, you know, oftentimes in um, when somebody, somebody has an, you know, they, they, you know what you want to do, right? But you have ambivalence about it. You know, I want to lose weight. And I really like, I really like what I'm doing now. You know, I don't, I don't want to have to exercise. There's that word, you know, (laughs) and I I don't want to. So there's ambivalence. And motivational in interviewing, it's a skill that is that is taught and coaches, you know, as part of um, National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching, that coaches are trained in motivational interviewing, a skill of, of reflecting um, back to a client what they're saying and and asking questions. It, it, and it's it's helping people to um, you, you're listening for certain ways that they're saying things, you know, when they start to, to use change talk is what they call it. When they start to say, um, you know, I really, I really want to do this, but there's the ambivalence, right? Right. And so you're in, in the things that you say, you're, you're bringing out the, you're, you're leading them to talk about the reasons that it would be helpful to do what they want to do. Yes. And, and there's something about this and this whole, it really comes from positive psychology and our human nature to for autonomy, you know, this is why it doesn't help if a doctor tells you to do something. I mean, sometimes it, you know, some sometimes a doctor will tell you something you're 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 already committed to doing that, you're going to do it. But more often than not, a doctor will say, well, you really need to do this. And it doesn't happen. And you keep going back to the doctor and like, well, I told you, you needed to do, you know, you needed right. to lose weight. And then you go back and you feel terrible about yourself. Well, so motivational interviewing as a skill with a coach helps people to, to resolve their ambivalence, to get clear on 
the reasons why, like their vision for what life could look like if they started to make these little baby step changes. And I mean it when I say baby steps, because to make change, you don't need to do leaps and bounds. In fact, we don't recommend that because that's really hard. Change (laughs) is hard. Bottom line, change is hard. Right. And if you take little baby steps, those baby steps add up. And if you you keep going in that direction, you're going to look back over your shoulder after some time has passed and you're going to be, wow, I can't believe I've come this far. Yeah. And that's why Prochaska's stages of change are like a myriad of levels to get Mm -hmm. there. And the first one is just the idea, oh, I'd like to make some change in my behavior in this area. That's like the first thing. You could stay there for months or years. You could stay there for decades. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to make it change in this. And that's all it is. And then there's usually but. But. (laughs) It's got ambivalence. And I really want to do this, but. But, and I'm going to put on my other hat here as a patient advocate. When I go with patients to doctor's appointments, I also, maybe it's because I am a patient as well. Sometimes doctors talk over a patient's head. They don't do it on purpose. It's just they're doctors and there's so many good doctors there. But I watch a patient sit there and doctor goes, blah, 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 blah. So this is what you need to accomplish in the next six months. I'll see you in six months and make sure you blah, blah, blah. Normally it's about weight or something like that or stop smoking, smoking cessation or, you know what I mean? Those kinds of ha- or exercise, physical activity. Mm-hmm. And the person sort of just sits there like a deer in the headlights. And I watch them shake their head. Yes. You know, cause the doctor will say, are you clear on that? And they'll do this and I'll know that they're doing this new. Nope, I do not understand. Or if they don't understand, I do not know how to get there. That's what mm-hmm. this also means mm-hmm. going back and forth when I'm sitting, taking notes for a patient behind them after their, you know, for their appointments, especially with chronic conditions, that is a message. And for me, putting that hat on as a patient advocate, because I'm advocating for that patient, I will say, Dr. Jones, Miss Smith, I don't think is clear on what you're asking her to do. So I will ask the doctor, I will say to them, can you reframe that for them? And sometimes I get a huff and a puff by a doctor, but I don't really care because I worked for my dad when I was in high school. So yes, but it's worth it to stop a physician and say, can you reframe that? We do that in health and wellness, but can you reframe it? Can you put it in another context so I can look at it from a different vantage point? Because sometimes that's all you need is just look at it a little differently. And that helps people. So it's important to realize we're all sort of trying to get answers for things and saying you don't understand is okay. But you know, you're trying to be the good patient and doctors are smart and they know better, but you still have to remember everybody puts on their socks the same way. Yeah. I think a lot of it, don't you think, Michelle, a lot of times people are just intimidated. Yes, very much so. And afraid to say they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. When it's very common not to know. Yeah. And, and a lot of now there are a lot of programs that are, that are training some doctors with motivational interviewing, but I don't think it's commonplace. Yeah. Could be wrong. No, it's not. It's not. Columbia University is doing that because they developed also narrative medicine. So Mm -hmm. narrative medicine, Mm -hmm. you guys, is the narrative of the patient. What is the story behind the patient's illness? And when that started in God, the late eighties, um, 
it was an internist who developed the narrative medicine program. She she loved bioethics and she developed narrative medicine. And that was finding out what the narrative is. Doctors have a tendency to sort of think they can write the narrative for a patient when no, actually you really need to know the narrative. You guys, there's books out there. There's the diving bell and the butterfly. That is a narrative of a patient. That is exactly what that is, is telling you stories like that. And um, that's really important that doctors also learn to motivationally ask questions of their patient. Because if we pull back and we ask questions with a question mark, not an answer at the end, thinking they already know the answer, you get some information you didn't even know, right? Mm -hmm. And it happens with, look, I found the most interesting thing when I was studying nutrition for me and learning about about different groups for for, uh, patient advocacy and the history of healthcare. You know what? Latinos, Hispanics eat a certain way. Okay. So they are always, they've grown up eating white rice and beans. And normally it's white rice that's short grain, which means it burns really slow as a, it burns really fast as a sugar, not slow. And beans, and they're choosing a bean like a red bean or a white bean, they burn faster. We don't want that. We want it to burn slow so you have more energy because that's what food is. It's energy. So you're putting energy into your body. And Sometimes you can help a person with a health issue, um, diabetes or obesity, um, by looking at um, what about black beans and what about using basmati or jasmine rice? I'm not even going to brown rice. I don't even push that. Basmati or or, uh, or jasmine rice has a longer grain, so it burns slower. If we can get somebody to do that, that is a big step, but they have to get there. You know, I have to motivationally get them there asking them questions and um, and also exploring what some some questions would be. So that's how you can positively affect people. And a word that you brought up before, I'm going to bring it up again, is resilience. (sighs) People are resilient. We are all resilient getting through a pandemic around this world. The resiliency Mm -hmm. of human beings, right, Sherry, is unbelievable. And when you're aware of that, when you're aware of your tenacity, when you're aware of your ability to really tap into words, because those words that you hear Sherry and I using are positive psychology. Those are positive things about you. To have resilience, to be able to be tenacious and to go after something, those are unbelievable skills, you know? And we think sometimes being a leader is, is you know, it's always about being bossy. No, to lead mm. is a really positive, positive psychological word. That's why, you know, Martin Seligman developed all of that along with many others. Please don't think it's just Marty Seligman, but we normally have a tendency to go there at uh, UPenn. They really, really dove into that because suddenly it was, why are we always telling in the world of therapy? Why in therapy are they always telling somebody um, just working on the negative, working on that? Whereas if you built someone up from their positive stance, what would that be like? What mm-hmm. if you had a, a, a foundation on what's positive about you? Where would that lead you? Well, sure as heck for me, it would lead me to a much more um, open space for me to go, well, I could try more things. And even though I feel this way about something in a negative space, or I can't, there's that, I can't do this. You know, even in fashion, I used to say that to women who struggle with body image, you know, you'd see a woman who, you know, you do a fashion show and, you know, being a size 16, 18, 20, um, 
I, you know, it was the year of the sheath dress. So it's a sleeveless dress that's more form fitting. Well, you know what? There's a variation on a theme. It's a sheath dress. But for you, if you're more hippie, I'm going to say it's going to be an A-line. So it's going to just come off of your hips. If you don't like your arms, well, then use a pashmina shawl and throw that around your arms. Put on a cardigan, put on a blazer, go where you're comfortable, but play your assets up, even in fashion. You've Mm -hmm. got a great bust line, lower the neckline. If you've got great legs, raise the hemline. Go for your strengths, even in silly fashion. Go for your strengths here Mm -hmm. in the world of coaching someone. Go for what your strengths are. What are you really good at? Doing a VIA survey, I use them all the time. It's it's a mm-hmm. survey that was developed to tap in to see what um, your strengths are. And people are always fascinated when they do this because they're like, I didn't know that. Wow. I didn't know that that was one of my stronger points. And I like being able to have people sort of go, duh. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's more of that awareness building, right? Right. You know, you made me th- think of Michelle when you were talking about leader leadership, and really, I think the best leaders are are really good listeners. They're not telling; they're listening, and they're they're helping to guide with their good listening, with what they're perceiving based on what is being said and felt. Yeah. Um, and another thing, I just before I forget to say it, I was thinking sure. when we were talking about. Um, you know, all the all the things you were saying with helping your clients as a coach and and in relation to healthcare, you know, like being a patient advocate um, and coaching your your you know your clients. Um, you know, in today's healthcare world, unfortunately, doctors they have such little time. They, oh, you know, gosh. they really are so limited with the time that they get to spend with their patients. And so often it's really not that, you know, it's I, if any, it's not, it, it makes me feel bad for them because I know a lot of doctors would love to have more time to, to hear their patient stories and they don't yes. always have that opportunity. And that is another place where this is how coaching is fitting beautifully into the healthcare field. And um, this is what MBHWC is helping to make, you know, to, to make happen is to have health coaches be a part of the healthcare team, working collaboratively with yes. doctors, yes, and helping so so that the a patient has somebody who will know their story and who can listen and who can support and partner with and and you know be um, a guide without telling them what to do, right? Yes, and in conjunction with the doctor and this is a this this is what is happening with NBHWC is there there are actually a lot of coaches in that capacity now yes working in across care. the country and around the world but seriously don't think that you know we're here in Maryland and New York mm-hmm. and it's happening across the country there are you know there are doctors like Kim Foster who has become a health and wellness coach and she's amazing. I do her workshops still because she really left medicine to become a health and wellness coach. She saw an opportunity to help her patients that she had in a different manner. She saw a hole in the healthcare system and she said, this is how I'm going to transition. And they bring such knowledge to them. There's nurses who become um, health and wellness coaches, psychologists, psychiatrists. A lot of specialists suddenly go, you know what? I 
I don't have this time and I want to be able to really help people question and look and explore what's going on with their health or the wellness. And you're going to hear health coach, wellness coach, health and wellness coach. You're going to hear it in different terminologies. In the end, it's all the same under the same category, but some of us focus on certain areas of it. What we're focusing on is that we studied a lot of things about anatomy. We, you know, we really did. We had to learn about disease. We had to learn about the body so that when we're talking to people, we have a basic understanding of what's going on with you. And then because we're asking um, really powerful questions with motivational interviewing, we are finding out more with our coachee, not just we know this and now you got it. No, sometimes they bring things to us and we're like, that is great information. I did not know that. And that also empowers people. Yeah, you know, the health insurance system, you know, doctors are challenged to get all those notes into the computer. They got eight to 12 minutes with the patient. They used to love having a half an hour with someone to talk to them, but we've got to make money and we've got to like beat the clock. And especially if you're a faculty um, at, a, at a hospital, even more so, that's why a lot of doctors are going into private practice so they can control that. I work with a lot of private practices who have a number of doctors underneath the practice and normally specialties. Um, um, because they can take a little more time and they appreciate that. But then we're also challenged with sometimes they don't take insurance or sometimes, you know, it costs more. It depends on, on where you are. And that's why health insurance, you know, you have to be able to be flexible and see doctors in different contexts so that you can find people who are a good match for you. There's lots of things that have changed and shifted, and I'm glad to be able to support them. And I, when I work, especially for medically managed weight loss, working with people with orbera balloons, instead of doing bariatric, they have a balloon put in that can be pulled by the esophagus or just tightening the esophagus with something called plication, um, which just limits the amount of food or the speed that you eat at. Um, Listening to patients and listening to doctors on that journey, I sign on for a year. I speak to them once a month, and that is the deal in this practice. Um, and these are gastroenterologists. And I love that they are committed to having their patients have that support. But I come back, just like anyone on a team, to the doctor if I think there's something that they should know that I learned. Because we're sworn to HIPAA, the patient has HIPAA. We want to make sure that you understand that we're having a very private conversation. We're on locked systems. When I send messages, you want that, right? And you want people to feel safe. Am I reporting that you had like, you know, a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream? No, don't think I ever would do that. That's not my job. It's not my, you, you tell them that you're doing that, okay? That's not my job. But I will say they're struggling with so-and-so. And I think that, you know, we could help them with, you know, slowing down this or is, can we explore something else? Can you look medically at something else or, you know, look at it differently? Um, that's helpful. You know, that's not me tattletaling on someone. That's me supporting their wellness, right? Mm -hmm. And that's different. You know, um, you know what we should do? We should ask me some powerful questions. And let's see if people can understand when you hear a powerful question what it is. <laughs> because we, because you guys, we do this for tons of our courses. We literally are assigned to patients or with each other. We, we go through things to help unearth because it's important for us to hear the professors or the people who are being brought in as mentors because we have mentors who help us hear ourselves. 
you know, and that's how we get better. We only get better with um, feedback. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you ask a powerful question? So if somebody came to you, so if I came to you, Sherry, and I was struggling with, um, you know, getting, let's go here, getting exercise into my daily, um, my daily habit, you know, what would you ask me? Well, um, okay. So in that scenario, I was actually thinking of a question to ask you based on what you were telling me that you do, Michelle. Oh, okay. <laughs> ask me. Totally ask me. Well, go I'll, there. I'll do that first and then I'll go back to that, that other one. But what I was what I was going to ask is what excites you about the work you do for your client? What excites you most? I love that you can help people open doors in themselves for themselves in a way that they didn't know. Mm -hmm. I love when those aha moments happen and somebody suddenly realizes that they have the answer to something they were sure they did not know at all. Or even if they don't have the answer, that they're closer to it and understand the situation closer than they thought they did. That's, that's totally a benefit. When so somebody, have, share, when somebody yeah. shares that they're eating ice cream, that's a, that means, and don't think any coach would take this lightly. That is a huge give to me that you would share that with me. Oh my goodness. I treat that with kid gloves. You would share that you're struggling and we're using ice cream as that, that you're struggling and you want something to comfort you because food is used as comfort and we, we use it in, you know, the way that it's not meant to, you don't, you know, comfort yourself with food. You use food as energy and you use food to enjoy with friends and family and so forth. And we enjoy it, but to realize something about lately I've gained five pounds and then ask questions. And then suddenly you go, well, I've been eating more ice cream lately. That was you having a light bulb moment yourself and going, wow, something must be bothering me. I'm eating mm. more ice cream when I come home from work. I'm really, and why are you eating more ice cream? I'm, that can continue just like that. And we could get to, and do you find things at work easier or harder lately? And you can suddenly go, it's been really hard. So when you come home, do you go and take a walk before you walk in the house and start making dinner or, or, or get delivery? Or do you walk in with the whole day on your shoulders? What would happen, I'll say to a patient, um, if when you come in and you tell me you have a Bowflex or a bike or a, you know any of those machines at home, what if you took five minutes, five minutes for yourself and got on there just to decompress? What would happen? And I'm still asking you a question. And then you get to have the coachee think about, well, what would happen? Well, do you think that you would be as hungry? Literally that simple. Would you be as hungry for something like ice cream if you had a second to just sort of like remove some of the day from it? And a lot of times people who think no, because the, here, we're going to go back to the, go back to the doctor. The doctor said, you have to exercise five days a week for 30 minutes, at least a day. You know, that's a lot to ask a 300 pound person to do. Okay. This just is. Um, I'll literally walk that back and say, what if we start with five minutes? I can add to that, right? Sherry, I, we can yeah. add another five minutes. We can add it per week, per day, per month. I don't care how we get there, but I want you to get there. I want you to suddenly like what you chose to do to decompress. Exercise, physical activity is about decompressing, taking a hike is that is decompressing with a lot of gorgeous air and chlorophyll around you and see incredible mountains and lakes and whatever is available to you. That gives you a chance to step back and go, <sighs> mm -hmm. and to take that breath 
is really important for people. You know, so it, Michelle, I want to point something out. So I asked you the question about what lights you up. Yeah. And you have been answering that question with this animation, you know, like you can see the passion on your face. You, you know, you love that you can help people in this capacity. And so that's how a, a, a powerful question, an open-ended question that is relevant to what a person has said in their life can help. So you you just demonstrated that in your answer. <laughs> good, good. So did you guys hear that? You you should get light. We want you to light up. We want you to feel an excitement to go, I have another possibility. I have another way to do this. I didn't think that that was feasible. And to suddenly go, wow, yeah, that could be a way that I'm going to handle this. Handling stress. Suddenly, you know, we use, you know, we use food for weird ways. There are people who use Use exercise and physical activity to decompress. They know better than many of us do. And they know that letting that out themselves helps them to have a better quality of life, right? And isn't that what we're aiming for, Sherry? We're aiming for people having the best quality of their life. Absolutely. And everybody deserves that. Absolutely. And everybody can get there and it is within them. And that's why you and I talk today, because those of you listening, I want you to hear what is possible and what a health and wellness coach is and have people like advocates and health coaches and professors on for you to hear what integrative complementary medicine, and we do call it medicine because it does help you heal in whatever area that is or grow. Um, That's what we're doing. Right? I mean, that's what we want for people. So you now are a little more knowledgeable why I have health and wellness coaches on. And that's why I've been waiting to interview Sherry because it, it, it's a conversation that I can have with her because she's taking people through two years. Uh, she They can do um, a master's like I did, two, two and a half years. They can also do a certification. Um, I chose a master's because I wanted more information. That's honestly, you know, um, mm-hmm. I can never get enough. So you love I hope to learn. I do love to learn and I love yeah. to learn about my clients. And I hope mm. that you out there love to learn about yourself. And living with a chronic condition, the more you can learn about yourself and the more you can tap into yourself, sometimes with the assistance of open-ended questions, motivational interviewing with a coach. I hope that you can get to those places that I've been able to get to, that Sherry's been able to help others with, and from both sides of the fence, honestly. You know, I'm an expert and I'm also the audience. I have a coach and I also am a coach. You never stop learning. You never Mm -hmm. stop growing, right? So true. And that's what we want for you guys. And on that note, I'm going to let Sherry off the hook uh, (laughs) because we've explored so much in this hour. And thank her genuinely for taking the time to talk with me and letting you guys hear more about something that may be of interest to you um, to delve into and know that go to mbhwc.org um, or .com. Um, Remember, I think, I think it's still dot. I think it's still dot com, and ICF, the International Coaching Federation, ICF.com. Go there it because is, it is dot org. Sorry, dot yeah, org. Oh, yeah. it is dot org now. Okay, so they transitioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're dot org and the Coaching Federation is ICF. Coaching Federation mm-hmm. is ICF. Go there because they're going to talk about coaches. They also have a directory of coaches 
around everywhere. So tap into that. And that's what I I want to offer you um, as you listen to this podcast interview, however it comes into you, but it definitely is through your ears. And just ponder it. Ponder what it could bring to you and what you could learn about yourself. And know that there are many of us out who are ready, willing, and waiting to help many because we do light up and <laughs> we do we do feel this way about what we do because we want to help people and we want to help them help themselves right? I think that's a good note to say about Mm -hmm. this. Help them help themselves. And that's why I love talk radio for women, because we are talking to women and by women and about women and giving them more empowering ways to get through their lives in work and play in in health and wellness. So thank you, Sherry, so much for coming on. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Michelle. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you next week. Have a great one.